0: As Bill said, this is World Communion Sunday, used to be known as Worldwide Communion Sunday. And uh, we are celebrating together with churches all over the world as we share in our common table. A bit of history this began in 1933 by a Presbyterian pastor named Hugh Thompson Carr, who was the pastor at Shadyside Presbyterian Church in. Pittsburgh, he was also moderator of the General Assembly. And when he came up with this idea, it was, as I said, in 33, the world was beginning to march toward war, and he hoped that in our common gathering around the table that it could be at least a spiritual symbol of how we are all brought together in Christ, Really didn't get a lot of traction until the war broke out. And when it did, churches began to come together and to celebrate this day. The text for this morning comes to us in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth when he is sharing with them his hope that they will be not only symbolically but actually in unity together as one body and not divided and uh, split apart. It comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 33. May God lift up an understanding of this word. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse, For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, or to a large extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only then will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper for when the time comes to eat each of you goes ahead with your own supper and goes and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk what do you not have homes to eat and drink in or do you show contempt for the church of god and humiliate those who have nothing what should i say to you should i commend you in this matter i do not commend you and then he writes to them the words that we have been saying ever since they were said by Christ himself to his disciples the night before his death. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Therefore, examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, that is the church, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. There are many testimonies in the Bible about God's will for creation. Ever since God created the world and brought order out of chaos, and God breathed life into it and spoke life to it, God's will for the world would that it would be in unity, in communion and fellowship, all things together as part of God's one creation. This morning's text that I read is probably the most, or the, the prime example of how the church, in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, saw that all coming together as a church and especially at the communion table. As Bill said, today all over the world we are celebrating this service. We are grateful for Linda's presence here because your presence is a tangible connection to Haiti we are now in prayer of Haiti and Jamaica as the hurricane makes its way through. Please, all of us, let's, let's lift them up. We've gathered to celebrate. It's a word that comes from the word that the Roman Catholic Church claimed in the Middle Ages to celebrate. And in fact, what Bill and I do up here, are called, we are called uh, celebrants. To celebrate is to do something in, a, in an honorable manner and in a solemn manner to lift up in awe and gratitude. One thing that's left out of that celebration definition is joy. Solemn, yes, but also joyful. If you've ever been to a wedding and the reception that follows guaranteed that one of the first 5 songs that will be sung will be from cool in the gang that goes celebrate celebrate dance to the music and in that song little did you know when you were dancing to cool in the gang that you were actually preparing for the end time when we are gathered around the table of the marriage supper of the lamb who is in heaven where we will all be dancing together with our place settings waiting for us to join all God's creation reconciled in unity. So next time you dance at the wedding, do so with joy and vigor. Sometimes we lose sight of that in the church, especially the solemnness overwhelms the joy reminds me of the story of the monk who was in a monastery. The monastery was well known for having the ancient manuscripts, the ancient texts, down in the catacombs. And this particular monk was a scribe, and so he went down to the catacombs for a week. And then he came back up, and he had this exasperated look of frustration and anguish on his face. And he walked over to the wall and started banging his head against the wall. and uh, the head abbot, the father, came to him and said, Father, what is wrong? What is wrong? And the monk looked up at the abbot and said, The word is celebrate. (laughs) Not celibate. If only the church could understand that this life-giving interrelatedness and relationships and intimacy go together because this is exactly the way that God comes to us in this celebration of intimate love. This God that understands our role to be much like a violin that is cherished but constantly out of tune or in Susan's behalf a viola You cherish the viola, but you can't keep it in tune. Yet, it is worth so much that you always use it, hoping that one day it will find its tune and play the way the musician wants. That's God's relationship with us. Never puts us down, always trying to help us find the tune. And the tune, you see, is that place, that note that we all sing together on cue, much like our choir today. Juliana, thank you for helping us find the tune. This tune, of course, is the world in synchronicity, together as one body. And in our world today, where pluralism has taken root as now the national religion, oh, don't we need that tune? to be played over and over again of unity. This is joy. We call it all kinds of things. We call it the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper or the love feast. We come to the altar if you're Episcopalian or Catholic or the table if you're Presbyterian. We come as we stand, or we might kneel in our pews, or we might sit in our pews. We might be offered the bread, which could be one of those hard little bread chiclet things that they used to give out, or one of those thin little wafers, or a homemade recipe of a whole loaf, or unleavened bread, or tortillas, or in our case, pita bread. We are offered the wine, the cup, which could be many varieties of wine, or just grape juice, by the way, grape juice was invented by Welch in order that the Baptist could have communion without having alcohol. We might receive it in our home, in our church, or in our hut. It might be thought of as the actual transformed body of Christ or just the sacramental symbol of the body of Christ. And for my take on it, at least, all of those differences make absolutely no difference to God. What matters to God, I think, is that these things are among the many that end up dividing us. Who gets to come to the table and who doesn't? Who has been in communication and who hasn't? What kind of bread you eat or what you don't? All of these really not very important issues end up being divisive. This is what Paul is dealing with when he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth. Apparently, you see, there weren't big churches like this, but instead the early churches, who were mostly Jewish with some Gentiles who believed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, would gather in house churches. And to own a house big enough to gather, you had to have wealth. And archaeologists have discovered that in most of those houses was a dining area that would seat eight to ten people on the floor around a table. Since you were of wealth and means, you probably had more leisure than those who didn't. And so the people who with wealth could come together for the Lord's Supper could get there early, sit around the table because they were probably the house owner's friends, and feast on the fried chicken and honey-baked ham and best desserts before the rest of the congregation could arrive because they were working in the fields. And when they did arrive, they found not only not food, but they couldn't even sit together at the table. They were out in the perimeter rooms or even in the courtyard. What Paul is admonishing uh, them for is the, God, it never ends, does it? The social and economic divisiveness that counted about who was in and close to God and who was out and not close to God. And what he was saying is, you don't understand, this is communion. Communion in oneness. There is no difference or separation politically or economically or racially or in any other way that we choose to divide it. Paul says we're all one. And he lifts up the fact that for God's concern, God's ultimate concern, that's what we are called to understand. For God is our ultimate concern, not all these other concerns that separate us. Think about how God is. God is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship, in a relationship Connecting, separate yet one, the Trinity as one. That's the model for how we are called to be together, too, in body and mind and spirit. Think about that, what that could mean. Think about how we would change our whole worldview if we understood that, that we are interrelated economically? Yes. Environmentally? Yes. Yes physically, spiritually, yes, all things in unity connected. I heard a scientist say recently that science is now finally catching up to the theologians of 3,000 years ago. And what he means by that is, in the whole new world of quantum physics, and how you can split an atom and separate it and move the atom way away from the original Uh, atom that was split, and somehow the rotation of the split atom still affects the rotation of the atom that was split, that is to show how connected we are at the atomic level. So whether it's global or subatomic, scientists are now coming to see that everything works together systemically and organically. Well, theologians have been saying that since day one because God is one and God's creation is one and we are all part of that oneness together. Paul says this is so important that we do not exclude others from the common table, that when we do, we are eating illness on ourselves. Even some have died, he said. What he means by that is, if you have a grudge against another, if there is someone in your heart or life that you are unable to forgive or reconcile with, parent or a child or a sibling, a boss or a friend, or if there is a whole group of people, a nation or a race, that you are not willing to sit down at the common table of Jesus Christ and eat with, if there is someone in our life, then we need to examine ourselves, to assess ourselves ourselves. And before we come to the table to receive this Eucharist, we are to lift that up to God. If we are unable to find reconciliation now, at least we are willing to lift up to God the hope that God will one day help us be reconciled. And if we're not willing to do that, Paul warns us sternly not to come for we are eating ill health on ourselves." Paul said in Colossians, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Examine yourselves, he says and give this over to God to bring communion to us. Then, come to this table where Christ's body is broken for us and Christ's blood is poured out so that we might be brought back together. As a symbol, let us now stand and pass the peace of Christ to our neighbors.